I want to talk to you about how to find forgiveness today. Now, you might be asking how in the world could a message on forgiveness be number 11? It ought to be first. Well, remember when we began, we talked about being saved first. And the subject of forgiveness and becoming a Christian is not the same. We have read from several passages of Scripture about this need of confessing our sins. 1 John 1.9 is the classic example. It was written to the church. It was written to believers, not sinners, believers. If we, the church, confess our sins, plural, when we were saved, we were saved from sin, all-inclusive. Anything and everything we had ever done wrong in violation of God's commands, we were forgiven from our sin. But we learned we were not perfect people. So, 1 John 1.9 comes to our remembrance. If we confess our sins, plural, acts of rebellion, he, Christ, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Adultery, lying, stealing, blasphemy, murder, all of these sins and more will God forgive. But there's one sin that he can never forgive. And we need to remember that every day we live. There is one sin God cannot and he refuses to forgive. He will not forgive it. And that is the sin that you refuse to confess. He cannot forgive that sin. We have to ask. We have to come to him for forgiveness. So I preach to Christians today as well as sinners people who have never made Christ the object of their life, I preach to you as well that before we can obtain heaven's help, there must be of necessity the act of confession. Dr. Hobart Maurer, a research professor of psychology at the University of Illinois, and past president of the American Psychological Association, wrote these words. He said that the emotionally ill persons are typically guilty persons, persons with real guilt rather than mere guilt feelings. He expresses grave doubt about the reliability of psychotherapy, and he was a psychotherapist for over 30 years. He goes on to say, perhaps the next half century will be well spent if we do nothing more than learn how once again to make use of meaningful and effective restitution as a regular and expected quality of confession. One of the most neglected elements 
of life today is this element of confessing our sins and finding forgiveness from a loving God. And I want to help you in that today. Truly, I do. 1 John 1, 9, we must confess. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. 2 Samuel 12, 13, and David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. What a wonderful word that must have been to David when he had committed such horrible sins. Thou shalt not die, the Lord hath put away thy sin. I think of the prodigal in Luke 15:18, who said, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. That should be a regular practice for all of us. I want to talk to you about how to find forgiveness. There are four steps. They're easy steps. I want you to take hold of them today because you will never be spiritually victorious until you find these steps practical in your everyday life. First of all, my observation of unconfessed sin is this. It becomes a major roadblock to love and joy in your life. A major roadblock to love and joy in your life trying to live happily over the top of unconfessed sin is an impossibility. Let me picture it this way. All of us have had the experience of trying to unclog a pipe. There is Drano, there are other methods of unclogging pipes. But we know what happens when a pipe remains clogged, either the water just seeps through a little bit at a time or nothing gets through at all and it backs up until you have a major mess. Well, that's exactly the way sin works that is unconfessed and unforgiven. It is like debris, rotting debris in the pipe. Even though some water passes once in a while, it is tainted in color and it becomes a thing that smells and its flow gets slower and slower until there is no passage whatsoever. That's what happens in the spiritual life. What has to take place? The filth and the rottenness has to be cleaned out. The debris has to be gotten rid of. I remember when I was in junior high school, I'd been playing the trumpet for a while, and one day in band, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with my trumpet. It seemed like I was working twice as hard as usual to play that thing. And the notes weren't coming out very well in the other end of the horn, and they had told me that what goes in is what comes out. So it just wasn't figuring out right at all, and I made this known to my director, Mr. Anderson. And Mr. Anderson was a very interesting man. He was a loving man, but he was very gruff in, in some ways. And 
when I said, Mr. Anderson, my horn just doesn't seem to be working right. Would you take a look at it? He always had one of these white batons with a point on the end. And if you weren't doing things right, you might get that baton on the top of your head. And I was always a little leery of that because I sat fairly close to where he did the directing. He had that baton in his hand and he grabbed my horn in his gruff way and he jerked the mouthpiece out of the opening in the end and he stuck the baton down in the mouthpiece and when he pulled it out, I liked to die because all kinds of crud was on the end of his baton. I didn't know you had to clean out the mouthpiece. He said, hold that thing up to the light. I held it up and liked to lost my lunch. <clears throat> the effectiveness of my talent was being affected by a clogged mouthpiece. I never forgot that. You might well understand I would never forget that. I have the cleanest mouthpiece in the world to this day. So it is with your life, my friend. The joy that should be there cannot be there because of the debris inside. The love that you want there cannot be there because of the debris that's inside. You have to confess the sin, and that confession will unclog the pipe, and the love and the joy will be there, which you so sorely need and desire. J.C. Penney had the opportunity to grow up in a minister's home, Baptist minister's home. At age 16, his father was defrocked and put out of the church because of his advanced ideas about how the church ought to operate. J.C. Penney got bitter, resentful toward those people, even though his father told him not to, that he couldn't afford that. Later on, he started his first store in Kemmerer, Wyoming. The crash came. His creditors fell on him. They would not give him time to pay his bills. He lost his store. He ended up in Battle Creek, Michigan, in a home, kind of like a sanitarium, dying. The doctor said, I don't know what's the matter with you. I can't find anything wrong physically. You're going to have to work this out yourself. Confined to bed, he heard coming down the hallway on a Sunday afternoon the strains of the old familiar hymns he had been used to as a boy. He, in his weakness, managed to get out of his bed. He made his way to the doorway, inched his way along the hallway until he stood in the doorway where a youth group from a local church was ministering in song and testimony. He listened to those hymns, and as he listened, something happened in his heart. He confessed the bitterness. He confessed the resentment toward his creditors and toward those who afflicted his father years before. And there was something marvelous that happened in J.C. Penney's life. Not only did the pipes become unclogged spiritually, but suddenly he was a well man. He walked out of that place and he started the great J.C. Penney organization. And every one of us here have blessed J.C. Penney by our purchases in his stores. Christian man, way up in his 90s when he finally passed on to glory, 
but he established the institution called pennies on the principles of the golden rule and of confessing one's sins and being right with his God. The great man who left a mark on his time. He would have died prematurely if he had not confessed his sins unto the Lord. How important it is for us to remember that love and joy are blocked off when we are not living honestly and uprightly before the Lord. The second thing that is important for us to remember in these steps to confession and forgiveness is to remember that unconfessed sin cannot be lived down. You never live down unconfessed sin. It's impossible. Now that has been made very clear to us in many ways, but one way I saw it was in a magazine article that came to me titled, Conscience Money Continues to Flow. I read this article with interest. It was dated Washington, D.C. And what it talked about was a very unusual fund that was started in 1811 by the treasurer of the United States in Washington, D.C., because there began a flow of mail into the treasurer's office at our nation's capital of money that he didn't know what to do with. One Baptist minister sent a check for $50. He said that when I was in the army years ago, I stole from the army, and I want to pay it back. There was a letter from a man who had been in the Navy who said, I stole some tools while I was in the Navy. We'll respond. Catalog, and I have figured out the value of those tools, and enclosed is my check for $120 for the tools that I stole from the Navy. The article says that the money sent in ranges from pennies to thousands of dollars, and myriads of descriptions of why the check had to come, or the money had to come. Listen to this. Letters indicate the remitters' consciences won't give them peace of mind until they make amends. One man wrote, I just want to be honest, with a $30 check inside. That's exactly what we find by reading the Bible and opening ourselves to God in honesty, that unconfessed sin cannot be lived down. Some go on pretending to be happy when they're not happy. They think sin will go away. If it is ignored, it will not go away. It's like that dog that came back this week from over 900 miles up into Colorado. It won't get lost. Did you read about that? They left a dog in Colorado at a relative's purposefully. But this week there were scratches on the door here in California and that dog made it all the way back from Colorado to that door. That's just like your sin. You can't lose it. You can't live it down. 
I was sitting last night at dinner with a man in our church that I went to Bible school with hundreds of years ago. And in the process of discussing old times, he said, you know what happened to me just recently? He said, in the mail, with an unmarked envelope and no name, I got a $5 bill. The note inside said, I borrowed this from you in Bible school, and I have to pay it back. <laughs> I think I'd frame that. That's, that's worthy of note. Why did that person do it? He doesn't even remember loaning it in the first place. But that person remembered it. Over 30 years have passed, and that $5 had to be mailed to clear the conscience of the individual. In a newspaper I was reading was an account of a man who traveled 2,000 miles to visit a former employer to confess the theft of a few dollars in tools more than a decade ago. The employer had forgotten the incident. It was not recorded in the company books. No court could have made a decision regarding the man's guilt. For 10 years, he was beaten around by the unconfessed sin. It would not go away until he traveled 2,000 miles, faced that employer, paid back the debt. Then and then only was he free from his sin. You cannot live it down. That same story could be written with different names and addresses hundreds of times over. It could be written by many of you in this service today. Why? Sin cannot be worn out by ignoring it. You cannot live it down. It can be overcome only through confession and forgiveness. Did you know that? Some of you need to remember it, to act upon it. It is the theme in this series on discipleship which will bring us close to the Lord, close to one another, and bring a new source of release of power in our lives that we need in these momentous times. You can't live it down. It has to be confessed. The third step in how to find forgiveness is to remember that confession always involves a willingness to make restitution. Now, it's not always possible, but when it is possible, confession must always be accompanied with a willingness to make things right. Forgiveness cannot be forced against an unwillingness to make amends. Now, there are many of us who would like to think that God has forgiven us, and he does when we confess. But don't ask me to go and make it right with the person that I've sinned against. You might well understand that when you come to that point, God has a problem with you, too. There are some people sitting here today who have refused to make amends for sins 
that you've tried to confess and you're still not released, you're still not happy, you still don't have the joy because you have not taken this step. A willingness to make restitution. There are some wonderful words in our English vocabulary. This set of three are so needed. I am sorry. This combination of words so beautiful in regard to this message, I was wrong. It is so hard, it seems, for us to utter those words in those kinds of combinations. I am sorry. I was wrong. I blew it. There are two marvelous words that seem to be harder than any others. Forgive me. Oh, we fight that. But the attitude of Jesus and the attitude of the New Testament is, go to thy brother, leave your gift at the altar. Go to your brother, make it right with your brother, then come back to the altar and I will receive the gift. We like to scoot around that, but it's part of the record and it's part of the procedure to find release and relief in your life. F.B. Meyer told of a, of a revival meeting that was dragging on without much success. It was hard, he said. During one of the meetings, suddenly one elder in that church stood to his feet and he said, Pastor, I don't think there's going to be any revival here so long as Brother Jones and I don't speak to each other. He went to where Brother Jones was seated and looked him in the face and said, Brother, you and I have not spoken to each other for five years. Let's bury the hatchet. Here's my hand. And Brother Jones stretched his hand out and they embraced and wept together suddenly from across the room another elder stood and he said, Pastor, there will not be revival while I say mean things about you behind your back and nice things to your face. I want you to forgive me. Soon many others arose and confessed their wrongs and sought to set matters right. Then God began to visit them. A revival broke out that swept through that community. I want you to know that it did not last for one week or two weeks or one month or six months or one year. But F.B. Meyer said that revival was continuous for three solid years in that community. Hundreds were converted because people within the family of God recognized 1 John 1. 1, 9. We must confess our sins and then take the second step and make restitution for those sins. And the plug is open, the plug is out, and the pipes are free, and the glory of God can move through us until people want to know this Savior that does such wondrous works. Have you taken that third step? We must be willing to make restitution if you want your joy back, if you want to feel God's peace in your heart, confession always involves willingness to make the restitution. 
Fourthly, I think sometimes we forget this, although it's so elementary. We should never forget it. Only God can forgive. Now, some of you may be seeing a psychiatrist or a counselor of some kind, but I want you to hear me real clear. There is no efficacy in the psychiatrist's couch or even in the pastor's study. We do a lot of counseling as a pastoral staff, and there are many other counselors out there, and sometimes we get the mistaken idea that to go to the counselor, to go to the pastor and make the need known, the burden known, is that which is needed, and we think it's going to resolve all the problems. I'm here to tell you that only God can forgive sin. The psychiatrist may help uncover the hidden rudiments of sin. The pastor may lead the person to seek the grace of God, but only God can forgive sin. Don't you think you can get it forgiven by someone else? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And I respect every person who has a religion and a faith of any kind, but I'm here to tell you, you can't go to the confessional booth and get rid of your sin. It doesn't work that way. I cannot forgive you of your sin. If you have wronged me, I can forgive you for that, but I cannot forgive you of your sin. Only God can do that. No man can forgive you of your sin. He is faithful, and He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have to come to Him and face Him with the sin. A black woman of the old slave days is credited with this definition of repentance. Repentance is being so sorry for sin, you quit sinning. Now, theologians could add many amplifying sentences to that, involving some very remarkable words and phrases, but it's doubtful that anybody could improve upon that definition. Repentance is being so sorry for sin, you quit sinning. And as I'm preaching to you today, I have a sense that some of you are under conviction. And I want to tell you, conviction is not repentance either. There have been times when I have awakened at 5 o'clock in the morning and laid in bed. That's one thing, but to get out of bed is another thing. And that's the way I would describe this thing of conviction and repentance. You can be awakened to the need. You can be awakened to the sin. You can be made alert to the problem, but you've got to get out of bed if you're going to solve the problem. You've got to confess it. You've got to face up to it. God's power is limited until we're willing to come to that point of confession and say, Lord, I have sinned and I need your forgiveness. Can you relate to that? Thank God for the conviction. Thank God for the uncomfortability that you may be feeling in church today. I'm grateful for that. But break out of it by coming in a few moments to confess that sin to God and make it right, if need be, with somebody else. When the victory will come, only God can forgive sin. And don't put it off. 
One of the worst words in the English vocabulary is the word procrastination. A son of a minister was in Sunday school class one day, and the teacher was talking about procrastination, and she asked the little fellow if he could describe or give a meaning of procrastination. Well, the little boy had been in church all of his life, and he had heard his dad preach on justification and sanctification. So he said, Teacher, I'm not sure what it means, but I know our church believes in it. He had heard all about those Asians, and he figured that the church believed in every one of them. But there's one we don't believe in, and that's procrastination. That's one Asian we don't want around here. We want to move when God speaks to us, and when there's a need to confess, we do it. A seminary professor in the eastern part of this country tells a story about himself that I love. When he was a younger man, he told a lie to his father that caused deep hurt to his dad. And as the years progressed, they grew farther and farther apart. The problem went unresolved. But the guilt didn't go away. Now this man is a seminary professor, and the guilt builds and builds. Remorse gnaws away at his spirit until finally he goes to his desk, he sits down, pulls out a piece of paper, and writes a letter to his father. He was not even sure his father would remember the incident, so in his letter he reviewed the entire episode. And then at the bottom he asked his father if he would forgive him. A few days later he received a reply in which the father said, Of course I remember. And, of course, I forgive you. A great weight fell from that son's shoulders. He said, it made such a difference in my life when my father had forgiven me and I had made my effort to get that thing straightened out. Not too long after that, his father and his mother died within a short time of each other. He found himself in the family home going through the things. Up into the attic he went where he found a box containing little treasures his parents had kept through the years. Treasures from their marriage, treasures from his boyhood. You know about those things. We all have some of them somewhere. Whether it's in the attic or a box in the garage, they're somewhere. And we love to go through them and reminisce and remember. I have one of them on our bedroom wall. It's a picture of me when I was two years old, and I was so cute. <laughs> Blonde, almost white hair, incredible. I'm getting back to it now. <laughs> Chubby cheeks, cute little shoes on. Neatest little suit, two years old, and I was sitting up on a beautiful Shetland pony. Now, we didn't have enough money to hardly eat on, but we didn't have a Shetland pony either. But this fella came through the neighborhood with his beautiful little pony, and he'd put kids up on the pony, and he'd take pictures of them and, of course, sell them to the parents. And my parents just couldn't refuse this beautiful picture of their two-year-old. 
And I got it somehow through the years. It came to me. And I have it hanging on the wall. And when I walk around the corner into my closet, I see that picture. And it reminds me of things. Because it was when I was two years old that in my inquisitive way, I checked out the ringer of the washing machine with my left arm. And I put my fingers in it, and it just kept going right on up my arm until it got to my elbow and just kept going round and round and round and round. I was screaming my head off. My mother was way outside hanging clothes up on the line. She ran in and got so excited she couldn't think of what to do. Ran back outside and was yelling for my grandfather who lived next door. My grandfather came a-running, and he released the ringer, but by that time it had eaten my arm until it was black and just like hamburger meat. The doctor said, we're going to have to remove that arm. But my mother said, no, we're going to pray first. We'll have the church pray. Well, you see, I have my arm. It's not fake. It's a real arm. I do have a good scar on my elbow to remind me that God restored that arm. When I was two years old, it was right after that picture was taken. And when I look at that, I remember about the goodness of God. It was before my father died. It was before a lot of things happened in life, you know, that you remember about. And it's one of those treasures, and I I hope to pass it on to my grandchildren, perhaps, as a reminder. We all have some of those somewhere around. And he was fumbling through the treasure chest of his parents. And suddenly, his eyes fell on a letter that looked very familiar to him. It was the letter he had written to his father, asking his forgiveness. He pulled it out of the envelope, and he began to read his own words to his dad. With tears streaming down his cheeks, he read it. And then he thought he saw something on the backside He knew he hadn't written anything on the back side of the page. So he turned it over and he saw in his own father's handwriting one word written on the back of that letter from his son, and it was the word forgiven. It was in the treasure box. It was in the box with the most precious treasured things of those parents. And how meaningful it was to that son as he went through that treasure box to know that there was no unfinished business between he and his dad. What a great gift for that son to discover that his father had relinquished all of the traces of hurt and all of the traces of resentment in his life. Forgiven! Forgiven! had been written on the letter. How is it with you on this Palm Sunday morning? Is there any unfinished business today in your life? Are there any blockages to the flow of love and joy in your life? Any unconfessed sin that cannot be lived down? Any unwillingness to make restitution? 
If so, don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. There are some words that I have circled in, in my page in this little booklet on forgiveness that I hope you'll circle in your Bible today. You see, in Proverbs 28:13, it says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. So I circled that word, conceals, to Glenn Cole that says, I cannot conceal my sin or I will not prosper. I have to bring them out into the open and confess them before the Father in heaven. And I follow down the page and see 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, see that word confess, I have circled. That's my responsibility. I must confess it if he's going to forgive it. I have to do that. And then in the next verse, Psalm 32, 5, there is the word acknowledged. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. Do you see how important this is to believers? How important to Christians it is that we remember these truths in this very important act. How to find forgiveness, it's to acknowledge, it's not to conceal, it is to confess, it is not to hide, it is to bring it out into the open and say, I have sinned against thee, O Lord, and I want to find Forgiveness for my sin. As I look out into your faces today and realize the law of percentages always works in a congregation of this size, I can say there are some of you who not only need to confess your sin to the Lord, you need to get restitution with other brothers and sisters in Christ, perhaps with parents somewhere in this world, perhaps with some friend or loved one apart from your parents that you have sinned against, or there is a problem that has lingered for a long, long time. Today is the day. Now is the time. Don't put it off. Don't put it off another day. You will not experience love. You will not experience joy until you deal with that in your life as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Disciples confess and do not conceal. Disciples acknowledge and do not hide their sin. And be assured that someday your sin will find you out. Did you ever do what I did? I didn't want to plant everything my dad gave me to plant. It took so long and it was so hot. So I just took some of the seeds and dumped them over in a corner. Oh, you have been there, I see. They grew. Stupid seeds. They grew. Nobody hoed around the water and they just were over there and they grew. And my dad saw them. Mm. Our Father sees in secret. He knows every act. He knows every deed. 
knows every circumstance. What do you say? We come out into the open and find forgiveness. Let's pray.